Welcome back to the 108th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories about AI, the regulation needed on the international stage for the wartime AI, the discussion about the increased productivity that it will bring in the United States, and then also a question about whether the U.S. will actually regulate it correctly and people's doubts about that. And of course, we'll end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling for me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So for you personally, we've seen a lot of growth in AI. So for you, what is your biggest fear with AI? Is it that it will replace your job? Does it have the ability or does it make it too easy to present false information as fact? Could it be used for narrative manipulation because you could just chatbot it up and then send out all those tweets about a certain perspective and make it seem like there are more people who actually believe a certain thing on a certain topic? What is it? What is your biggest fear? Or maybe you're a Skynet person and you think it'll just take over and end the world. Let me know in the comment section. I'd love to hear y'all's opinions. All right, our first story comes from Fox News. AI requires a new generation of arms control deal to govern future warfighting, says Marine Vet Lawmaker. And this is not necessarily a hot topic, but it is one that has come up, especially over the last few years, not just particularly with AI, but with drones in warfare. And then also you see things like Atlas from Boston Dynamics. These type of robots that could, in theory, be versatile enough to be used in war. Maybe for in the case of Atlas, it would actually be carrying packs so Marines don't have to, carrying different types of gear in hard places that are really far off in the distance so it can make the Marines or soldiers' lives a little bit easier so they don't have to carry all the heavy equipment. But with all this new technology developing, there's always the question of, well, will it be used ethically in war? And how could you set the rules of the road, essentially, on the international stage about how to use them? And now that AI is progressing ever faster, this conversation, of course, because in my opinion, it's inevitable that we have this conversation whenever there's a new type of technology when we created the H-bomb, we didn't instantly say, oh, okay, everybody can just use the H-bomb. No, there were treaties, negotiations, international, not necessarily laws, but standards put in place in order to keep people from using it recklessly. And now, is AI on the same level as an H-bomb? Not necessarily. I mean, it could influence international politics in a way that could be even worse than setting off a bomb in some locations but in its actual day-to-day use, it's probably not as dangerous as those different pieces of technology. But the discussion still is important to have. And a veteran lawmaker, a veteran who is a Marine, made lots of strong comments about this. And let's get to some of his quotes that they have here in the article. Quote, a Marine veteran lawmaker says the U.S. should be pushing for new international agreements to govern the use of artificial intelligence on the battlefield and believe it's a strategic mistake that the Pentagon hasn't started this important task. Rep. Seth Moulton, Democrat of Massachusetts, said the U.S. 
needs to work with other military powers to flesh out the rules of the road on how AI can and cannot be deployed by military forces before AI becomes much more advanced. So let's pause before we get to the rest of his quote here. What he's really playing at is it's not even just about how we should use AI ethically on the world stage, which is, of course, a very important concern. I would say that's even more of a concern. But he takes the very realist worldview, which is if we don't do it, if we don't set the rules, if we don't go to Russia and China and try to start these negotiations and push our values, then they're going to start having these conversations with other countries as they develop their AI. And then the international rule set will be disposing or, sorry, disposing or kind of promoting their value system in a way. And as a United States purist, I'm assuming because he was in the Marines, and I'm not saying that as a, as a bad thing, but assuming since he was in the Marines, he is looking at this strategically saying, okay, we need to be the ones setting the terms here. We need to make sure if they favor anybody, even though they should favor all of humanity, if they're going to favor anybody, they need to favor the United States. And some people may hear that and think that's a little rough. And I do think at the end of the day, we need to approach this from a more ethics standpoint. How do we use it ethically rather than how do we use it to benefit America? But this is why we need people in the military who think this way. Because some of us are very idealistic. Some of us really believe in the ethics of the situation. And then there are people who are a little bit more realistic, understand that this is a dangerous technology that could put the U.S., at a disadvantage, and willing to make those harder decisions and step above the moral fray and say, hey, at the end of the day, if we're going to do this, it needs to benefit us. So let's get back to what he was saying, though. Quote, when we get to the point of having killer robots, it's going to be real, a real problem for us and if we don't have some established international norms for their use, Molden told Fox News Digital. Quote, adversaries like China and Russia, which don't care about collateral damage, they don't care about civilian casualties, they don't care about human rights. They're going to have an advantage in making their robots more lethal because they'll be less constrained, end quote. And, you know, he goes straight for the killer robots thing here. <laughs> I don't blame him. It's a great image and it really sticks in people's heads and that's one way to really get through to them but of course he goes straight for the killer robots and you know i instantly picture an atlas robot or a drone with like a little machine gun on it and an ai piloting it saying oh well, these are the affirmative targets but he's right you know they don't necessarily care about collateral damage as much and the reason that i brought up the ethics conversation earlier is because as one of the wealthiest nations who is a hegemon in the United States, we are in the position where we're at the top of the ladder. So now we can worry about those ethical concerns. We are in a place of prosperity. So now we can actually worry about the ethics of our decisions and worry about the collateral damage. If you're a rising power or a country that wants to regain power on the world stage, you're going to be a little bit more desperate. You're going to be willing to risk a few more things in order to get to that position you really want. So then you may not take those ethical quandaries into your decision-making as much. So that's why I believe here he's really speaking about how he thinks the U.S. is in the best position to do this. And at the end of the day, I don't necessarily know if we are always going to be the most ethical country. We have lots 
of problems here in the United States, just as any country does with any form of government. But I do think that we need to take a step forward because the other part of this article is talking less about how we should limit the international stage, but it actually talks about how we're already using it for, you know, to some degree here in the United States. Quote, Pentagon officials have said that they are looking to use AI to help sift through mountains of data to help military commanders make better decisions, but have no interest in setting up a system in which AI would make military decisions on its own. Mullen said he believes that the U.S. view of AI, but has doubts about the other nations. Quote, I trust that America's position, and I don't trust that China and Russia's position, he said. Molden last week asked U.S. Marine Corps Commander General David Berger to report back to Congress on how he sees the Marines using AI, and Berger said he won't, he would do that shortly. Molden believes that there are several ways AI can be used to help Marines do their job, end quote. And this is the important distinction. Distinction. They, if AI is used for decision making, the decision making process, which is what the Pentagon says they're not, they don't want to do. They want to use it to sort their information, grab the important stuff, and bring it to the forefront so they can have all these pieces in, of information, data, in order to make accurate decisions. And they don't want to use them in order or as a mechanism to actually make those decisions. And that's where I think things will go down very downhill very, very quickly. If the U.S. or any other country uses AI to actually make decision-making, one, it's going to lack the strategic value of human insight. It's just going to look at, oh, well, in similar situations, what do the military do? And maybe you'll be able to filter out which militaries won and lost. But even then, you're just going off of historical data. You're not leaving room for new strategy, changes, technical advances that have happened since the time of those previous battles. So you leave a lot of things on the table, a lot to be yearned for if AI was just making decisions. And they say they're not going to do that. But I think over time, it will become easier. And as AI becomes better, more people will be pushing for this. And I also think that's dangerous because... AI, like I just said, is a predictive mechanism, or at least it is right now. It can't think for itself. So if you put in a certain set of parameters and get a certain answer out, even though the uh, opponent wouldn't be able to do the exact same thing, they probably wouldn't get the exact same answer, they could put in the similar circumstances and understand to some degree what you're getting out on your end, what information is getting served to you, and they completely undermines the strategy that you would try to employ. So I think that could be extremely dangerous. And I'm, I'm sure that these military leaders are 10 times smarter than me. They have already thought of this. But that's one of the first things I heard about or thought about when I heard that AI was being implemented on some level within the government. And that scares me a little bit. Now, when being used to sort through data, even then I think that can be a little bit dangerous because if we're sharing crucial data with an AI system, unless it is a completely closed, sealed system where it is off the internet and it is just running on the training data that it was given, and then you can input information in basically, like think of a, a skiff. It's one of those sealed locations where they're kind of closed circuit, 
if it was operating in that way so that crucial data information couldn't be hacked from the system, I think that would be more appropriate. But if they're just going to do it in an open system that they have set up with ChatGPT, maybe they get a special server or something, that can be hacked. And that puts a lot of information about the U.S.'s strategic moves, where we have troops placed, things of that nature, to the enemy. Or at least people who don't necessarily have our best interests at heart. So, we need to be very careful moving forward. We need to have a serious discussion about setting the rules of the road internationally when it comes to using AI in warfare. All right, so let's jump to our second article. This one coming from Counterpunch. Google AI expert warns of massive uptick in productivity growth. <laughs> can we just can we just acknowledge warns about massive uptick in productivity growth? Normally you know, executives and companies, when they hear the words productivity growth, they are foaming at the mouth. They are excited. But let me read the latter half of the headline, which is no problems with Social Security. Once again, you're probably thinking, okay, one, executives really want that productivity growth, but what the heck does it have to do with Social Security? Well, Counterbunch makes a lot of bold claims here, and let's see if we can flesh it out and understand where they're coming from. So, the godfather of AI made some comments recently, and honestly, I feel like there's always another godfather of AI. Well, this guy wrote the basic code that allows the algorithm to predict the next word. There's always a godfather of AI. There's someone that they can pull out of the weeds. If they have played some important role in AI, they'll just call him the godfather of AI and to make, it, to make him seem more like an expert and validate what he's saying. But let's get to the quote. The New York Times profiled Godfrey Hinton, who recently resigned as head of AI technology at Google. The piece identified him as the godfather of AI. The piece reports on Hinton's concerns about the risk of AI, one of which of its implementations in the job market. He is also worried about AI technologies will, in time, upend the job market. Today, chatbots like ChatGPT tend to complement human workers, but they could replace them they could replace paralegals, personal assistants, translators, and others who handle route tasks. It takes away the drudge work, he says. It might take away more than that. The implication of this paragraph is that AI will lead to a massive uptick in productivity growth. That would be great news from the standing points of economic problems that have been featured prominently in public debates in recent years. End quote. So, as the population has gone into the workforce and as we've seen a big shift in the one college level education of people and the amount of women in the workforce we've actually seen in most of the western world including england the united states that our productivity has started to flatten out a little bit and i'm not saying that it's because of any of those previous factors it's just that over time when you have new technologies that are being incorporated, think about the 80s. You're getting Microsoft Word, Excel, a lot of different accounting programs. You're getting technology or large computers being incorporated. Think about the late 90s. You have the Internet. You're able to email people. Think about the 2000s. You know, there's always new technology, and it's kind of stagnated over the last 10 years because there are new technologies, but they're kind of twists and changes on the old one. Like, think about Slack. Slack is basically email and a group chat combined. And then you can add calendar events, but it more 
combines multiple features that used to be available in Office rather than creating new features that help that Office become more productive. So we've seen a slow drop-off, or at least, sorry, a leveling off of productivity. And now with this new technology, it can actually make that productivity shoot up. That's what they're arguing. And of course, like I just said, there are lots of technologies that have done this in the past. But the real concern which is being displayed here is, is that productivity, is that extra ability to do more work, is it worth the jobs that it could cost? And this article takes a really bold approach and it makes some really bold claims. And let's, I want to jump straight into them because I really want to address them. I feel like we set the stage here. Now let's talk about their take on the issues. Quote, a massive surge in productivity would also mean that we don't have to worry at all about social security crisis. The drop in the ratio of workers to retirees would be hugely offset by the increased productivity of each worker. The impact of recent and projected future productivity growth already swamps the impact of demographics, but a surge in productivity growth would make the impact of demographics laughably trivial. It is also worth noting that any concerns about technology leading to more inequality are wrong-headed. If AI does not lead to more equality, it is due to how we have chosen to regulate AI, not AI itself, end quote. So let's address number one, and then we'll address number two. One, the productivity that this AI system or AI systems can bring to the workplace will offset the amount of jobs that are lost. And my thought process is, okay, but how do you have access to that capital? Do you have a larger Social Security tax on the corporation overall? Because normally a lot of Social Security is paid into by workers in their monthly check or bi-weekly check that they get from the company. So if those people are laid off, then you're actually losing direct access to the people that are getting paid and therefore you're losing Social Security income. So the only way to gain access to that extra money that is got that is acquired through the productivity increases is to either tax the people that are still working there more, they may be making more money, but you just tax them more, or you tax the corporation more in order to pull back some Social Security money. And they never actually clarify this. And I'm not necessarily saying that, oh, this is a huge flaw in their argument because they're more making claims and they're not necessarily displaying it fact by fact, giving me statistics that drastically prove that this is the case and sh telling me how they're going to implement it. But when I first hear it, that's exactly what I think, is how are you actually going to get access to that money that is gained from the productivity? Because when you lay off workers, like I just said, you lose access to part of the people or part of the population that is paying into Social Security for their future and the futures of maybe their parents. So that's claim number one. And claim number two is that AI itself is not unequal or it won't make inequality worse. It will actually, you know, at the end of the day, it should make things more equal across the entire system. And only if it's regulated wrong can inequality spur be spurred by the AI systems. And I think this is kind of true. I think it's a little bit idealistic. At the end of the day, AI systems 
do have the ability to equal the playing field, so to speak. Maybe there's someone who comes from a different country who can't speak English as well. Well, now they could use ChatGPT to refine some of their emails so things come across a little bit more smoothly while they're still learning the language. So yes, it could most definitely equal the playing field. But also, you have to think about, will it make a huge difference for different companies who are of different sizes. Maybe Microsoft has their special AI features only for people who subscribe to Microsoft 365. So large corporations, they can shell out that $100 a month, no problem to justify it. But a small company that has maybe four, maybe maybe four to 20 employees can't necessarily justify that $100 per month. And then they don't sound as professional when they go to make a deal with a larger company because they don't have the tools the AI tools available to them. So it depends on how everything's structured. If AI stays a free service, then of course, yeah, at the end of the day, it's open to everybody, just like the internet was, and it can be dispersed widely and used by everybody. But if it becomes a industry like Google, Microsoft, and a lot of different companies who are jumping into the AI sphere want to make it because they have to make some money. They're not just doing this for funsies. They're not just doing it with their free time. They're giving up long, long periods of time in their life in order to develop this AI system. They got to get paid for that. And if there's a financial incentive behind it, they're going to probably charge a little bit more money for their AI products instead of it being free. So then it does become a limiting factor to the growth of some companies who can't necessarily afford to pay for it. So if the article's right, they say, oh, if it's regulated wrong, then it could be an issue. So basically what they're saying is the U.S. would have to come in, or at least in my interpretation is, if they were to regulate it right, the U.S. would have to come in and say, no, AI services are completely free. Well, then either the government's going to have to subsidize those companies in order to pay for their workers or those companies are going to go underground. They're just going to fail because they're not making enough money. So I think that this article has, like I said, bold claims. And I don't necessarily know if when they hit reality, they necessarily bear out. But in an idealistic world, the productivity gains would actually help offset Social Security payments. And in an ideal world, AI would actually spur more equality rather than inequality. But we'll see how that one pans out. I think that there's, there's future developments here that the article discusses that maybe we can touch on very quickly. Quote, people gain from technology as a result of how we set rules on intellectual products, like granting patents and copyright monopolies and allowing non-disclosure agreements to be enforced contracts. If we had a world of these sort of restrictions, it's almost impossible to imagine a scenario in which AI or other recent technologies would lead to inequality. Imagine all Microsoft software was free. How rich is Bill Gates? If all AI leads to more inequality, it will be because of the rules that are put in place surrounding AI and not AI itself. It is understandable that people who gain from this inequality would like to blame the technology, not the rules that can be changed. But it is not that easy. End quote. So they just laid out exactly what I was saying, which is it would have to be free at the end of the day. But they use that little straw man, how rich is Bill Gates? It doesn't matter how rich Bill Gates is because do you also, the question then becomes, actually I take that back, it does matter how rich Bill Gates is. 
Because, yeah, I guess Microsoft could afford to make this technology free. But then, one, you're giving the monopoly, quote-unquote, to Microsoft because they have the money and resources that they can divert from other areas of their company in order to keep developing and creating new AI. And also, if it's free and they basically, not a monopoly, but if they're forced to give it out for free, then there's less of an incentive for new startups to come along and innovate. And if there's no money there for those startups to make, then exactly what I just said. They have no incentive to jump into that market. Now, of course, there will be certain people who will say, okay, hey, we're going to do this for the good of humanity. But that is far and few between. That is not thinking rationally. In an economic system where people need to make money to survive, they're going to want to be compensated for their work. And they're going to want to be compensated so that they can go home and feed their kids so they can make sure they get their wife that new car or they can get their husband that new thing that they want. So in the economic system as we have it, you can't just say, oh, it's going to be free. It's a public service and then expect there to be constant innovations and moving forward. And when this is a really competitive industry, not just in the United States, but also in China, and our adversaries are starting to develop these AI technologies too, do you really want to have it be a sector of the economy where no growth is happening, no new competition, it's just the big dog players who have already monopolized a lot of different technologies, have bought up small startups so that they can't be challenged, or do you want a entire sector that is constantly competing with one another? They're trying to get the competitive edge. Now that could have some deep, that could have some problems. They may be cutting some corners or they may do some ethical violations in order to make some extra money. I do understand that. But that pushing forward and that innovation at the early stages of a market is extremely important for for setting the parameters of who's going to be a big player. And do you want it to just be the big dogs already or do you want some new players on the scene? That's, you know, that's up to you. Throw it in the comment section. I'd be really curious. If you made it this far, I'd be very curious to hear your opinions on whether you like that Google and Microsoft are the main forward-facing companies with AI right now, or if you'd like to see some smaller competition come out of nowhere. And if you say OpenAI, OpenAI is majority-owned, or sorry, has a large stake that Microsoft owns of them. So just keep that in mind. All right, let's jump to our last article. And this one is about the regulation that we were just talking about. From Fox News, regulate AI, GOP much more skeptical than Dems that government can do the right thing. And this is a poll. So there's a little bit of a preface or a little bit of a lead-in that I want to highlight for y'all. Quote, Republicans are less convinced than Democrats that the federal government can and needs to impose regulations on artificial intelligence systems and are even more skeptical on whether the government is up to the task, according to a new Fox News poll. The poll of registered voters shows a noticeable gap between the two parties on the question of whether or how to regulate AI, a sign that the increasingly important issue could be hung up in politics as it advances in Washington, end quote. And if you were to highlight this, if you were to ask me this, Okay, so who do you think is going to be more hesitant in regulating AI? And also, who do you think, which party do you think will actually have more faith in the government? Of course, I would say that the Democrats would have more faith in the government than the GOP would. And the GOP would be more skeptical of AI than 
the Democrats are. I think both of those things kind of bear out. But now we actually have statistical evidence that really backs it up. Now, we could talk about why that's the case. At the end of the day, a lot of the push from Democrats within the last 20 years has been a faith-in-government argument. Think of the Obama era. If you believe that the government is doing right and it can do things properly, then, of course, you would support a health care for all or a Medicare program that allows basically the state to subsidize the health care system. Because at the end of the day, you have faith in the government. You believe that they're looking out for your best interests and they're going to do it right. If you're someone who doesn't necessarily have as much faith in the government, you want the government to be smaller, you think the government messes everything up, then, of course, you're going to be hesitant to let them regulate this new industry. Or, I take that back, to regulate them correctly. So you can obviously see the dividing lines between Republicans and Democrats. Now, I'm not saying that all Republicans don't have faith in the government. I'm not saying all Dems have absolute faith in the government. But that seems to be the overall trend, or at least within the last 20 years. Now, maybe that will flip in the future. Maybe Republicans will come back around and they'll have absolute faith in the government that patriotism will really be stoked and Democrats will be more, or the progressive wing especially, will be more critical of government and its influences from outside sources. Maybe that will flip in the future, but right now that doesn't seem to be the mainstream opinion. So these poll numbers really line up. And I'll just highlight them very quickly for you before we jump to our daily delight. So, quote, when asked how important it is for the federal government to regulate AI, 82% of Democrats say very or somewhat, compared to 71% of Republicans. And this was one of the bigger splits in the poll that found 76% of respondents saw some importance to federal regulation. A similar split was seen when the group was split between Biden and Trump supporters. 82% of Biden voters favored federal regulation compared to 70% of Trump voters. And I actually had it backwards when I was talking earlier. Democrats want to regulate AI more. Republicans want to regulate or aren't as quick to regulate AI. That does fall within the paradigms as well. Republicans, they don't like regulation at the end of the day. And Democrats, they're more willing to regulate something if they see it hurting the public interest. So, and I think it's interesting that Fox News threw in the part about Biden and Trump voters. Honestly, I think it was just so that they could have in the title Trump voters and Biden voters' opinions on AI because the headline picture is of Trump and Biden, even though the poll is actually about AI. But that's kind of hard to turn into a thumbnail or it's kind of hard to put a image there that really summarizes AI and is obvious to people when they look at it. Oh, that's they're talking about AI. So I mean, they were doing that for a little bit of clickbaity stuff going on, and I thought it was interesting that they put it in there. But the ratios or the statistics hold true between the wider majority of Republicans and Biden supporters and Trump supporters. So, you know, it's just a little bit interesting. But that's all we're going to talk about on that one. We know that Republicans are skeptical of the government, and we know Democrats are faithful in the government. And when it comes to anything new that comes across the table they're probably going to come along the same lines as before. All right, so let's jump to our daily delight. This one comes from the Island Packet. Five adorable baby foxes captured dashing outside a Colorado home. So, you know, 
sometimes I, you know, I find the ring doorbells a little bit creepy, but sometimes they catch very cute moments. Quote, five adorable baby foxes were spotted in a person's ring camera dashing across a front patio in Colorado. The camera captured the animals with their mom, April 28th, in Castle Rock, Colorado Parks, and Wildlife said on Twitter. End quote. You know, and apparently this isn't at odd to see these animals out and about at this time of the year. And I wonder if there are more ring videos out there that have captured them. Quote, foxes begin to leave their dens with their babies in April and May, wildlife spokesperson Caravan House told McClaley News. So sightings of baby foxes aren't uncommon common during these months, she said, end quote. And if you want to see any of the videos of the foxes dashing around or you want to read any of today's articles, there'll be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the po- link to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Podvine, as well as the Twitter handle at your daily flip, where you can get direct links to the videos when they're posted on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. All right, with all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.